Hi, and welcome to She Geeks Out, a podcast where we geek out about all the things. I'm Rachel. And I'm Felicia. All right. Hey, Rachel. Happy summertime, Felicia. Thank you. It is currently pouring buckets here in the Boston area, so, you know. Summer with quotation marks. <laughs> <laughs> Can we timestamp this? Monday, July 13th, 2.30 uh, p.m. your time, 11.30 a.m. my time. I know. I think it's just the new reality amongst so many other new realities. We have to timestamp everything we say because <laughs> the world is changing so quickly. <laughs> what do you mean? Like, by the time this comes out, people will be like, rain, what's that? The rains have gone away in the great desert storm of 2020, July 31st or whatever. I don't even know. (laughs) It's literally raining cats and dogs. Literally. (laughs) Everything's going to be great. It's all good. Everything's going to be okay. Maybe not fine, but okay. (laughs) Yeah. Everything's going to be okay. It's going to be great. Um, So we are just doing this little intro for our lovely listeners because we are going to be taking a little summer break. Um, Summer vacation. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah, we're totally just going to like chill out at a pool. At the pool, at the beach, you know. Yeah, right. Sure. I think we should be real with our listeners and let them know that things have gotten, we actually did think we were going to have summer Fridays and things were going to be super chill. And it turns out they are not chill at all. And, um, and it's been a very busy time for us at SGO HQ. And so while we love doing this and we want to keep doing it realistically, we're just taking a break. There's only so many hours. Yeah. There's only so many hours in the day. Um, But I'm so excited because we're going to be talking, well, we did, we've already done this and you're going to be listening to it with Kat Moore, who's director of belonging at the, at University of Southern California, also president and chief communications officer at ReHuman. So just an awesome human being talking about a lot of stuff around belonging. I think it's very, very related to uh, the world we are currently living in, especially when we're talking about belonging as we are all what I like to say physically distant instead of socially distant. (laughs) Is there anything that you want to share about um, what's, what's on tap for, for SGO? Um, Basically while we may not be having these regular podcast episodes for the time being, we're still super active. So if you are a listener and you're listening to this, um, you can check us out. We're doing a bunch of, um, meetups for anyone who's interested in DEI work. We're also doing a bunch of uh, our geek outs for community side, as well as power up panels and happy hours and webinars and all sorts of good stuff. So we are very much out there. We would love to see you virtually, all of you. And um, if you haven't yet, just follow us on all the things. We have our Slack, we have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. So um, you probably won't miss us too much. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. All right. Well, uh, we hope that you have an amazing rest of your summer and we will leave you to the interview. All right. We are recording to the cloud and we're all in the cloud. Oh, hello. <laughs> um, hello, Felicia. Hello, Kat. Hey. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Good. Uh, you know, like for end times, you know, things. <laughs> 
can't complain for the end of the world. I mean, really, at the end of the day. But um, before we get too far into that world, um, I would love to introduce uh, you, Kat, to our lovely listeners. Um, Kat is Director of Belonging at the University of Southern California and President and Chief Communications Officer of ReHuman. Um, and I cannot wait, and I know Felicia feels the same, to learn more about your journey, what you're doing, what ReHuman is, what Director of Belonging means means. Um, before we get into it, let's just start at the beginning. Tell us your journey. Tell us your origin story. Well, it was a dark day on December 1st, <laughs> 1981. <No>. Um, <laughs> uh, well, yes, that is, that is the question, right? That's the, that's the, well, the way I start my class actually at USC is kind of what's your story. And so um, my story is that I spent the first two decades of my life in chronic loneliness um, that was fairly traumatizing. And I grew up in a very small steel town outside of Pittsburgh where our big claim to fame was being the most radioactive town in America. So we had a giant radiation dump in the middle of the town and it was just one of the most um, isolated uh, places you can imagine. And within my family system, my parents didn't have friends until much later in their own adulthood. And it was just a very uh, isolating place. And I just struggled immensely to connect at school and um, in sports and you know, all the things. It was just very difficult. And in that time and area of the country, people didn't have great language or concepts for any experiences, emotional experiences or otherwise, beyond like hunger and rage. Those ones, like we knew what those were. So there just wasn't a lot of uh, awareness and um, conversation around these issues. And so even though I was extremely lonely, I dropped out of high school and homeschooled myself, locked in my bedroom. Uh, Like it was, it was for real folks. And, um, but I never once had the thought I'm lonely. No one ever approached me and was like, gosh, it seems like you're lonely. How can we support you? Like that was just not. And so it was all happening in this, just like weird internal space. Um, and I was desperately always trying to find a way to connect, um, by earning it, by proving myself, by trying to make myself perfect. And, um, then by traveling desperate to find like maybe there's like soil out there somewhere that I can root in and Mm. feel like I can be me and belong. And um, so I went to USC as an undergrad and um, my gosh, I was so withdrawn at that point that I was actually self-sabotaging relationships before they could even begin. So I would put books on the seats all around me in the dining hall so no one would sit in, rollerblade to class, so I wouldn't have to be near people. I was terrified um, of being seen and known and rejected. And um, it wasn't until I was 28, actually, and pregnant with my son and started going to the same 
crappy strip mall Starbucks in Los Angeles day after day after day that something started to change. And as I was in that space, like as a ritual almost, day after day after day, um, my belly started to show and people started breaking the ice with me. And it was this very slow process for me of trusting people, um, letting them ask me how I was doing and realizing that they weren't gonna hurt me. And pretty soon they started sitting down at my table as they were waiting for their uh, coffee to brew. And I was just sitting there listening to them. I wasn't really sharing at that point or anything. And you know, these are people, it was a very diverse neighborhood in Los Angeles that was rapidly gentrifying, but you had people experiencing homelessness coming through the Starbucks, you had rock stars, I met Governor Schwarz, former Governor Schwarzenegger, um, like everyone. And so it was like all in one fell swoop, this microcosm of the whole world, um, as well as like really compacted socializing for me for the first time in my life. And um, probably within six months of starting to let people sit down and just listening to them and watching them burst into tears because no one had been listening to them, you know, for who knows how long in their life. Um, like just, I, I was noticing of just a rapid transformation happening within me and my own capacity to connect and just the felt impact uh, on other people um, of offering that. And a queue was starting to form at my table. People would be concerned if I wasn't there every day. Um, and, you know, even perfect strangers uh, would detect that there was openness and availability there and would sit down and, and spill their life story. And so at that point, I really started to take it very seriously, um, almost as like a life calling. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, that community started spilling out of the cafe. I'm talking hundreds of people wow. uh, who would never normally like identify the other people there and be like, yeah, those are my people. Right, it's like very unlikely friendships and collaborations started spilling out of the cafe. And then, um, you know, I'm, well, at that point I'm thinking, oh my gosh, my life is fixed. Like everything is awesome. I'm like a lit up Christmas tree. Like I can connect, I can help other people belong. This is everything. And then overnight, the bottom completely drops out of my life. And my um, now ex-husband, uh, essentially the, the mar marriage very bizarrely and traumatically ended mm. and I'm left overnight as a single mom with no job and no family, no job prospects. I mean, I have a degree in philosophy in a downturned economy. Yeah. You win dad. That wasn't the smartest move. <laughs> um, but I'm like, Oh my God, like what, what the hell am I going to do? And so it was at that point that the tables really turned and it went from being, oh, so cool, I can connect and oh, relationships are so cool and people are awesome to, oh my God, relationships are actually the infrastructure of life and we have to have solid relationships because we do not know when crises are going to happen mm -hmm. and we do not know what our own resources will be. And so I had to then turn the tables and start being the person who needed 
them to listen to me and needed mm. their resources. And you better believe in those moments when I didn't, I was living on out of my car with my son for 18 months, only going home to sleep. And I was never thinking, well, I don't know if I want to tell this person what I'm dealing with because they might be a Republican or they might be a different religion or they might like, it's like when you're in crises, you immediately go to the, to the universal common ground. That's a human. Mm-hmm. And so humans were helping humans is what was happening in crisis. And it just sort of like blew my own assumptions and expectations about what was possible and who was able to be a friend to me um, out of the water. And so it was at that point that I started um, realizing like, you know what, this something really important is happening here for human life, not just mine. And um, people started taking notice from various universities, from various research tanks, from various media outlets, um, because everyone around this time was starting to have these same, same awareness of these same issues and same questions of like, why can't we all just get along? Mm -hmm. And what do we do about this loneliness epidemic um, with no real practical solutions? And so USC approached me uh, a couple years ago, and this was in the midst of me also trying to monetize this as a skill set that was worth paying for Mm -hmm. Um, as a single mom. This is how I was trying to support myself. And USC was like, Kat, we've we've got a loneliness crisis not that students have never been lonely before. I mean, loneliness is part of the human condition, but it had reached a tipping point and they did not have, as no university has, um, like a robust plan for how to meet students where they're at and support them because they weren't needing therapy. They were needing friends. Mm -hmm. And so sending them to the counseling center wasn't necessarily what they needed. And so um, USC brought me in to essentially see if I could adapt the strategies that I had learned in order to save my own sad life (laughs) in the coffee shops of Los Angeles and see what of that was transferable to the university context. And so we launched a number of pilots. That's how I developed this class um, as a space of belonging for people, for people across the university to explore their social experience, learn with and from each other, practice creating conditions for connection in their real lives, um, and normalize it. Um, and they asked me, well, we don't have a job title for you. This is so outside of the box. We don't have a, like a, there is no, there is no, you know, title. If there was a title, then they wouldn't probably have the problem. So they're like, what do you, what, what do you want your title to be? And I kind of felt like, does this ever happen in life where people like ask you what you want your job title? And so I like I thought about it for three hot seconds, and I'm like, we need a director of belonging. And the amazing, awesome Dean Varun Sony was like, essentially like, yes, we do. Wow. So that's how that happened. It's a very wow. long story. Sorry about oh, that. No, that was <laughs> so much to unpack there. I know. And when, when did that actually start? What year? When did, when did you become director of belonging? So I started um, conversations with them two years ago and I've been, I designed and have been teaching click. I just wrapped the fourth semester of it. 
the director of belonging happened about um, one semester in when we realized after doing the class that like oh oh gosh this is like a big thing <laughs> this needs <laughs> this needs a, a big you know role uh, to do a, a lot of big work so then there's that and then there's also rehuman oh yeah so rehum so <laughs> so you guys i have so many things because <laughs> The point is not to just create things to create things. The point is to, for me to meet people in as many possible places that they are as, po as possible. And the reality is that some of the most lonely people on campus or in the coffee shop or otherwise will never come to my class. They're not never going to come to an event. They're not, I mean, that's just not within their scope of possibility right now. It's too scary. I never went to one of those when I was, I would never have gone to my own class. You know what I mean? But I would have read a book. I would have experimented with an app. So Rehuman was developed um, as one way to meet people where they're at. And what we know, especially about Gen Z and millennials is they're at their phone, <laughs> they're on their screen. So is there a way to befriend people where they're at and um, empower them to connect on purpose on and off screen. Mm -hmm. And so designed this app that essentially is running on the same click methodology, but it's a different format for people to move at their own pace in their own way um, and decide for themselves. It's kind of like a choose your own adventure app. So they're going to decide for themselves how to adapt various reflective and active tasks in their real lives to connect with themselves, uh, their friends, family, and community. I love that. Can you talk, can you tell people what CLICK means? What, what's, what does it stand for? Sure can. <laughs> <laughs> well, when USC, you know, was like, can you do like develop a five week non-credit class that can like help people start to unpack their social experience? And I'm like, well, who knows? Sure. We, something is always better than nothing. I feel like anytime someone is trying to do something to solve a pervasive human problem, my answer is always just do something. Don't overthink it. Do something. You're only going to know how to improve it once you start doing something. Agreed. And oh my gosh. So of course my mind is like going in a million directions of, because there was no precedent, mm -hmm. right? There was no research for me to read. There was no like someone to call up who's been doing it for 10 years longer than I, I mean, there was Jack squat. <laughs> and so I was really, it was a very human centered design approach, which was really, uh, and luckily in that case, I was relying on 28, I guess, years of like figuring out how it doesn't work to connect. <laughs> um, and then, you know, of course, this massive transformation I had of connecting and enabling, you know, thousands of other people who are different from me to connect. So I was really designing from the inside out. And when I was thinking about, well, what was I doing that enabled me to connect and others? Like, what was, like, what was going on? Because obviously it wasn't a program or a class. And so I came up with, like from examining what had actually worked and happened across time for me and others, um, I realized there was a process. And so CLICK is an acronym. Um, the first C is connecting as is. And so that's like, everyone's like, well, where do we start? Right? That's a totally valid question. It's like, well, 
the only place you can start is where you are as you are, right? We're not going to make people go on some retreat. We're not going to make them go into some, like, we're not going to extract them from their life in order to like put them back in their life. Mm. Like, no, stay where you are. You got to become aware and present where you actually already are with the time you have and the spaces you're already in with your strengths and weaknesses and your constellation of issues. Like that's where you start. I just had this visual of like somebody walking up with all of their baggage. Yes. <laughs> here I am. I'm here. Let's do, <laughs> let's, this. do this. let's do this. And I'm like, bring it on the train. Yeah. I'm not scared. I'm not scared of anything you got in that suitcase. <laughs> what about the L I C K part of it? Where what are those what are those? Yeah, water? so yeah, so that's like we root like in, you know, where are we actually at people? Like, we gotta get real here. Um, and then L is listening. So like, once you like get real about where you're at, really at the first thing you do is you start listening. You start listening to the person in front of you. You start listening to yourself. You start listening to the context you're in. No one knows what to do until you listen. Like you have to listen first. Um, and then I is investigate. So once you've listened, a little bit, you can start to ask questions about what you've heard and examine with curiosity and without judgment uh, that information and, and those experiences. Wait, without judgment? I don't understand. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> well, seriously. Oh my gosh. And I'd say especially that becomes so huge in uh, contexts that are very high performing. Yeah. Like you're not allowed to like mess up or not have answers, you know? And so we're always like very yeah. critical oh, of yeah. ourselves, especially. Definitely. Like, no margin for error. Um, and so that ability to ask questions that are not interrogations mm -hmm. um, is so freeing. Mm. Um, and it's a skill that anyone can learn. Um, and then the second C is communicating kindness. Mm. And so you know, we can get very lost and overwhelmed in like, well, what am I supposed to do if they say, or what if ha this happens? And, what, uh, and I just like try to distill it all down to like the core disposition that you need to be cultivating is kindness. If you like lose your way and don't know what's going on, like make sure that to whatever extent you can, you are being kind to yourself to the other people and like if your heart in that way is in the right place there will be graciousness extended for all the like well i didn't know if they wanted to shake hands or hug <laughs> like who cares if they know that your heart was in the right place like it's not gonna matter yeah. so that's like the real core that i try to root and return us to and then the last k is keeping in touch right mm -hmm. this is more of like um being very, very, very practical. Like relationships are not magic. Like there are dynamics that are predictable and things that we can do. And if you meet someone and have an awesome connection with them, but you do, no one follows up. Like you can't just expect like, well, I don't know. I thought like it would just ha happen. There was such a great connection. And so this is about being real about what it takes to maintain relationships, how to schedule for them, how to prioritize them. Um, and because that's where a lot of things end up falling apart. I love that 
So much. Sorry, Felicia, please go on. I was like, I love it all. Go on. <laughs> You're like, I want to say all the things. And I do. Um, which is totally <laughs> valid. I feel the same way. Um, I was just going to say, I love that last part, especially because I know that in my own life, there's been so many moments where I've thought to myself, oh, I'm so stressed out and I have all this stuff happening and none of my friends are reaching out to me to support me. And then I have to take that like mental step back to think, have I reached out to any of my friends in the past whatever amount of time? Because, you know, maybe they're also going through stuff too. And so I think that's so important that it does take work. It doesn't just magically fall into place all the time. Um, that actually brings up another question that I had. So you were talking about the community that sort of grew up out of this um, this being at Starbucks. <laughs> and I'm really curious how that sort of has developed or maybe not or evolved in conjunction with you starting Rehuman and starting this director of belonging position at USC and developing out click and developing out your own ideas around what was happening there and is that community still active were there any feels around you developing this out further because i know sometimes when stuff happens or, or starts really organically when you start to have those conversations around monetizing and structuring it sometimes there can be some pushback there so just curious what how like what that looked like or is currently looking like thanks yeah that's a really interesting question um so the funny thing is so that start the community there started about 10 years ago. Just this past January, that branch closed. Oh. <laughs> Put out of business essentially like Starbucks cannibalized itself. Like there were too many other Starbucks that went in around there. And the uh, leadership at Starbucks was not making decisions based on which of our stores facilitate community, which is their vision. Why not? It was, it was a bottom line decision and that store did not pull in as much money as others. But I will say that there was something so beautiful. We, um, I organized a huge um, celebration with that store manager who was not the store manager that started it. There had been like five different store managers. But we decided together that instead of what often happens when a store closes is you kind of like slink out in shame <laughs> because what your thing didn't continue in like into eternity. Um, and so we decided that we were going to take a different approach and say, no, this store, this community was a beautiful being. I love how you put that. Um, and it lived a beautiful life. And now it's going to change form and we are going to celebrate everything that this was for all of us and for the larger community. So we had this massive party. We called up everybody who had been part of it from, you know, the beginning on, I was filming it and um, this is crazy. They let me take home my table and chairs. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and an apron. And an honorary and an apron. apron. Oh, that's so nice. I know. And I was like completely bawling, of course. Oh, and no. <laughs> my son is there now 10 years old. Oh, and my gosh. <laughs> I, we're like walking out, you know, just surrounded by this huge group of people and people who have become really family members. And like the contrast between my going in there utterly alone, unable to look at people 
to leaving in that way um, was just like, you know, who's the movie producer that wants to make that movie? That's why I'm just, I'm so amazed that there isn't, like, when you were talking to answer our original question, I kept thinking in my mind, where's the Broadway musical? Where's the the book? Like, and I know that our listeners can't see you, but Rachel mentioned this before we started recording, like, your hair is so (laughs) (laughs) My hair would be the star of the show. It could be. I just... I'm sorry, I don't normally like call out people's hair. It's in true, you don't. Issues, but you have the most unbelievable head of hair I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Thank you. We'll, we'll have said, to put a picture of this now. Oh my like, gosh, I know. Now now it's like the fourth interview, uh, fourth, the fourth person on the call. <laughs> um, well, but I, what's so funny too, uh, well, one thing about the music that's, that's really funny is you know how Starbucks has this, you know, this yeah. whatever playlist yeah. that you're like, oh, it's, you know, dumb corporate whatever music right or at least that's the critique of people in LA um meanwhile I had actually made so many musician friends through that Starbucks (laughs) that there would be songs that would come on the Starbucks playlist and I'm like oh that's Eric's song and I would call up Eric and I'm like Eric your song's on in Starbucks (laughs) so I mean it became like we think of these corporate environments as being like inherently hostile to authenticity, right? And, but I'm like, no, if you show up with an intention of being honest, you will elicit that from someone else, no matter what context you're in. Mm. And so that was amazing. But yeah, to, to answer the rest of your question, no one had a problem with me, I mean, trying to make money from it. Now, it, it might've been different if I was going around to their tables with like a basket <laughs> or, or something and been like do you want to i mean so i wasn't right. doing that yeah but I, I think it's sort of like the charlie brown lucy where she like sets up her shingle <laughs> right. well i mean no, people were t- <laughs> people were actually telling me to do that really? they're like cat like yeah. you know and they didn't really know how to how to actually think about what i was doing so you get things like your yeah the charlie brown thing or um you know neighborhood nurse the unelected mayor like things like this that were trying to capture like what was going on and um so i initially went after some grants and tried to get donors and things like that but it really wasn't until i turned it into um you know what i think this is more consulting i think that there are other leaders out there who are wrestling with these same problems and they don't know who to call in um to listen to their actual situation and help them uh grow something out of their own soil that can actually be embodied by their people Mm. um so yeah no one had that like you sold out cat. Um, now maybe if I would have, you know, come back with some kind of attitude problem, like that I was, I don't know, better than people or something like that. Um, that would have been a problem, but yeah, no, we were still going to the same Starbucks doing the same things. So, um, I think as long as you're operating with integrity, you know, and it's genuinely part of your value system and how you live your life, most people, you know, are only supportive. Good. I love that. And I, I, Felicia, so 
secret note, Felicia and I are taking like notes in the Google Docs and she wrote down loneliness crisis. And I was like, can you please ask about that too? So I'm just like calling you out on that. I want you to, to, you want- to yeah, I want you to ask your question. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't want to take um, it from you. Yeah, no, we, we actually, this is sort of like behind the scenes for anyone who's listening. So normally we have our little list of questions and then we take some notes just so we know what we might want to title the episode or something that's come up. And Lately, Rachel and I have been chatting back and forth, not like it's taking away from your conversation, of course, Kat, no. but just things that like themes or trends or, or things. That yes. You just and said so, so much to us. Yeah, and there's, there's so much that's already come out. So something yeah. you actually had mentioned, I think, earlier in the beginning um, of our conversation was this loneliness crisis idea. And so I just made a note of that because I was curious to have you talk a little bit more about that because you mentioned that this was sort of um, in conjunction with what was happening, you know, with you looking for connection with what was happening in this community at this amazing Starbucks in LA and then your work now with students and it sounds like also with corporations and other people. I'm just curious um, because the time frame you said was a couple years ago that this sort of all started coming together and initially my first thought was 2016, the elections, of course, can't go any further without also addressing the elephant in the room, which is COVID and the fact that so many people are actually really viscerally experiencing real uh, isolation. And I'm just Mm -hmm. wondering um, if you could speak a little bit more about this idea of this loneliness crisis, where you've sort of seen it originate from, and is it showing up differently with different populations or even over time? No problem. (laughs) (laughs) What's your favorite color question now for you? (laughs) It's brown. It's brown. My favorite color is brown. Um, Coffee. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And soil. And soil. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Yeah, I mean, well, you know, just the zoomed out perspective is like loneliness is not new. Like regardless of what your worldview is, like in the Adam and Eve story, the very first modification that God makes to his plan was like, oh shoot, it's not good for man to be alone. And so this is like that narrative, like and pick a worldview, like there's always gonna be something that's like about aloneness. So this is a, and separation. Um, So this is a very, very deep, long, old story. Um, I think over the last several years, um, there has just been a huge spotlight put on the issue um, because one, I think it has worsened, uh, but also there was a, um, a Cigna study in 2008 18, I think that um, was like this super thorough study and analyzing all these different factors that go into why people are experiencing loneliness and who's more affected and where and is it income related and you know, all these different things. Um, but then the main finding was that over half of the population is experiencing loneliness. Gen Z is the loneliest generation we have. It's the first time we know of that we've been like following this data that uh, the youngest generation is the loneliness. Usually it's um, seniors. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and single moms are, the, are single parents are the loneliest subset of all lonely people. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they came out with that research and they were linking the loneliness to all of the physical health consequences. Mm-hmm. And so then I think it became like this big thing like, oh, shoot, this isn't like half the people are bummed out. That's too bad. It was like, oh, 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 wait a second. You're telling me that it's the equivalent of smoking a pack of cigarettes a day on my physical body? Oh, that's a game changer. Mm-hmm. And then I think that there was also a lot of links were just starting to be made um, between loneliness and depression and anxiety and uh, substance abuse and like all of these cascading issues that seemed to be tied to a common root of like, people were not getting their social needs met. And so I think that there was um, just a huge spotlight put on this issue and then a massive scramble, in my opinion, to like, well, let's do a bunch more research and like, let's develop a bunch of nonprofits and like, let's do it. It's like this big scramble to um, understand it more and develop, I guess, like systemic and programmatic responses. Um, and so I won't, I mean, you know, you, you'd have to like look into each of those individually to see how effective, uh, any of them have been, but that's absolutely not how I approach the issue. I feel like there is no such thing as loneliness with a capital L that's an abstraction. Uh, and so when we say 54% of people and like give these millions of people numbers and all of this stuff, the problem problem feels just completely crippling. Um, and so then people want really big responses, right? Like we need to appoint a minister of loneliness into the US cabinet, you know, which is what uh, the UK did. Um, and I'm not trying to make fun of them. I hope that, that that's working, but uh, that in and of itself will not actually change anyone's experience because all we have are individual human beings experiencing highly complex um, inner lives um, and loneliness being one of the experiences they're having, but their loneliness will only um, get unknotted uh, one-on-one and engaged, you know, at a hyper particular level. Mm. And so we, when we get into this epidemic language and crisis language and like all the sirens start going off and people are like, you know, there was an op-ed in the New York Times that was like, we need a war on loneliness. And I'm like, no, no, we don't need any more wars. <laughs> we, and we certainly don't need to like be in an attack mentality. Like if anything, you know, that just betrays a misunderstanding of what the experience of loneliness even is. And the last thing someone experiencing loneliness needs is someone coming at them like, like, I got all the solutions, you know? Um, and so the, we have to be careful about like, we want to bring awareness about how serious this is and how um, traumatizing the experience can be um, if our social needs go unmet. But I think the real switch of the conversation needs to be to what are people actually experiencing 
like individuals in our lives. What are they actually experiencing? What do they need? And being willing to ask ourselves, what am I willing to do about that? Because if that's not where the conversation goes, there will be no, there will be no plan or program or research that will ever be able to step into that 18 inch gap between us and say, how are you doing? That. It's funny too, um, to go back to what you're saying about um, not, you know, the war on loneliness. There was a part of me, because I, I try to like formulate titles during the conversation and I was like, combating loneliness. It's like, oh no, that's not a good title. <laughs> Never mind. So I'll scratch that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, I mean, and that's just, I mean, that's just, those are the categories that our world hands us, right? To, totally. to approach almost everything through. And this is much more, um, if we're going to get into metaphors, go straight to the garden or, you know, mm. with planting and nurturing and tending and pruning and, and seasons. And because the goal is life, right? The goal of war is like basically death and winning. Um, but the goal of, you know, some kind of gardening metaphor is so much more uh, suited to how relationships um, are nurtured and grow. Um, I mean, I developed, I had to develop an elaborate chicken metaphor when I first started trying to get donors to try to describe what I was doing. And I'm like, I don't know. I think we're like all weaving these nests. And I guess I'm like kind of a mother clucker. And I'm like, <laughs> like helping all the funky chickens, like to feel welcomed and to hatch and to fly and to make their own. And I'm like, oh my gosh, the lengths I'm going to to describe what's happening here. Um, that you said that too. My, um, my partner used to work for a restaurant that was chicken themed. So he literally has, I think they're probably in this closet that I'm sitting in. He has shirts that say mother clucker on them. So. <laughs> um, but I think to your point, it's so true. I think just as a society, we are, it's not even taught it's just part of our fabric right that we we're, we attack things we try to beat yeah. things we try to fight them you know I, I was thinking as you were talking about the whole dynamic between um cancer patients where there's i think it's becoming more and more of a conversation where there are people who are sort of at their end of life stages where they're saying, I'm not going to fight cancer and mm -hmm. kick its ass because that will not make my quality of life meaningful. And if mm -hmm. this is what it's going to be, I'd rather like give up in a sense, but give up to enjoy more what I have to the fullness. And, and I, and then of course that's not true for every situation and whatever, but that's sort of the, what I was thinking about as you we were talking and it's just, yeah, we're so, even with this COVID situation, we're like, we have to beat it. Like, and that's this really dangerous narrative that's floating out there. Like, yeah. you know, we, we're not scared of COVID. We've got to punch it down. And it's like, oh no, the virus doesn't give a crap if we're scared of it or not like it's just a thing um but I, totally. I really appreciate your point about it's not about fighting the loneliness it's about acknowledging it to start with and then yeah. figuring out what are like where is it coming from and how can we how can we nurture people as opposed to make them feel like they're failing if they don't fight it to the fullest extent that they could or or would right like almost you know just creating a second path and if there's two, there can be three. And if there's three, there can exactly. be four, but yeah. creating a different path for people to explore and, um, a, you know, a second narrative that's, that's valid that they can see play out. And yeah, the idea of befriending our own loneliness mm -hmm. and each other's 
because it's there for a reason. And the more we can see it as part of our experience, not as something like to get off of us or like, you know, um, to attack or, or make go away and be curious and say, oh, hey, loneliness. <laughs> How you doing today? <laughs> What's going on, man? What do you need? What do you, what do you need? Yeah. Like, right. is, this, is this a moment where we cue uh, Simon and some Simon and Garfunkel? Yes, <laughs> cue it. Hello, my old friend. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, because you know, it's it's one of the things is that you know loneliness um, has been very stigmatized, yeah. and so that only deepens it if you feel like you can't acknowledge it or talk about it. And what happens often uh, is you go one of two ways: is you either turn on yourself and say something's wrong with me. Mm -hmm. Or you turn on other people in the world and you say something's wrong with everybody. Yeah. And the world, or both. You can always oh do both. Or both, yeah. I did both, I did both. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people do, to be really honest. Yeah. Kat, yeah. were you an only child? I was not. I had an older brother who was five years older than me. But I think because of the gender gap and the age gap and who knows whatever other gaps, um, I have very few memories of him uh, and me together. And it wasn't until we both became adults. Um, and he actually lives in San Diego, I was telling you, Rachel. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. Um, I forgot. Sorry. Yeah. No, no worries. COVID and, brain. No, yeah. <laughs> I still blame everything on mom brain. <laughs> be like valid. Like she used to be valid when, like for the first two years when I was still like nursing and I'm like, my biology is all jacked up. And, and ten years I later. Still, like, yeah. Ten years later. Mom brain. Still got it. <laughs> Uh, no, it's interesting because so, so I'm an only child and, um, you know, pr pride myself on how much I love being alone. And mm. it's just such an interesting time now. I think about how I am literally shocked at how important human connection is yeah. and how much we were, were taking for granted those little moments, like, especially, um, I think after like the first few weeks when, you, if you would go out to like, um, you know, a grocery store or whatever, and you would, you know, there would be someone else and everyone's masked up. But then if you saw somebody's face, like if you were distant, but saw someone's face and had a conversation from a safe distance, I just remember having that for the first time with someone who I didn't know, a stranger, and felt elated after that experience. And I was like, wow, human connection is, I think, so much more appreciated now than it ever was. And it leads me to one of the questions I had, which is, you know, that's sort of the silver lining that I'm taking from this mm. um, as we're all sort of forced to, to literally stay apart and finding all these new ways to be connected. Do you see that there are any positive sides to what's, what's been happening? Yeah, I'm, I love, I love that uh, story that you have. Um, and I, yeah, I, I have seen that too. Uh, within myself, but also just ar around me and the people that I work with, kind of a, um, an awakening, right? To almost like you don't know what you have until it's gone, right? Um, and I think that a lot of people are also taking this step to realize like, oh gosh, I guess there's been a lot of people who have been lonely before COVID and this is what it feels like. Mm. Mm. So it's created an empathy bridge. Love I think that. two populations um, that 
just are more isolated. I think of people in retirement homes, um, single parents, people living in remote areas, mm-hmm. uh, and the list goes on. People working three jobs, you know, with no time to um, really connect meaningfully with people in their lives. Um, but yeah, I have seen so many silver linings. This season has given me even more uh, motivation and hope for what's possible for us um, as we keep moving through this, you know, uncharted territory together. Um, I've seen people really start to get pretty existential (laughs) uh, and really kind of like take stock of their own lives, um, how they had been living and why, where they're currently at and where they want to to go. Mm -hmm. And I think this time and space is just surfacing a lot of things that because of our busyness um, and preoccupations and just habits, we never attended to, right? And often because taking stock in that way and paying attention to those maybe buried social needs or buried life purposes that just didn't fit in in our schedules, um, you know, giving space to those now, I think, is creating um, like a reprioritization of people's lives. And people are actually a lot more willing to take risks in those directions. I think COVID's created this like um, in, in certain ways, an equalizing effect where your bosses and every industry, like no one's exempt, like everybody is having to shelter at home, you know, for the most part, everyone's having to navigate changing social relationships. And so people I think are more willing because everything has been flattened temporarily at least, they're like, well, now's the time to be awkward and join a new meetup because everyone's having to do it. So I think that there's also been um, an increased willingness to experiment as well as a reprioritizing of people's lives, mainly around relationships. Yep. I totally, I totally agree with that. Yeah. I was thinking too, um, in terms of, you know, the interactions that we all have on a daily basis, even if we're single or not partnered or don't have roommates, whatever, there's still those little moments where it might be, if you take public transportation, for example, like I know that there are people on the bus and on the train who I don't know who they are, but they're like my commute buddies, right? And if they're not there, like almost like with the Starbucks, right? Oh, where's this person today? Or if you get your coffee from somewhere, there's the person who works there who you kind of know or the front desk person or all those millions of little tiny interactions that make up that fabric of our our social being and relationships. And then when that gets taken away, it's it's really, it's really a lot, you know, to just realize, oh, I haven't talked to someone in person. <laughs> or haven't seen anyone else beyond my immediate family for how who knows how long. But um, I'm interested because I think that Rachel and I have seen this sort of uh, almost like a little bit of a, a mini roller coaster with um, how people are reacting in terms of 
looking at this as an opportunity or or too much where initially everyone was sort of panicking and scrambling and then it was like okay great now the world is at our fingertips we can talk to anyone and be anywhere and do all the things and do all the meetups and see all the people virtually and i think now we're what is it end of may we're starting to see the the downturn a little bit where people are like zoom fatigue is real i'm tired of being on my computer i'm tired of being on video i don't want to see myself anymore let's go back <laughs> to phone calls so i'm really i would love to um, hear from you in terms of um your own experience because you're doing so much and doing so much in this particular really weird intense time and so so many of us are feeling drained can you share how you personally stay motivated to do the work and to stay so present and, and so thoughtful around all of this? Um, sure. I just uh, live on Twizzlers. And <laughs> that is no. a totally fair answer. <laughs> I don't, but my son really wants to live on Twizzlers being home from school. Can I make, um, can I make a recommendation? Because I love Twizzlers, but only in, only really in one circumstance, which doesn't really exist anymore, which is going to the movies. But totally a movie food. <laughs> they are a movie food. But what I love, and Felicia knows this, is I love having a Twizzlers and popcorn because you get the sweet and the savory. <gasps> and so I just go back and forth. This is the best. This is the best, most balanced strategy <laughs> I've ever heard. <laughs> Um, make it balanced but seriously um yeah so of yes that is the the trend that i'm seeing too right where and that's like the pendulum swing we see that in all kinds of circumstances in life right and so i think as this continues on people will increasingly be trying to f endlessly find the balances right and so I think just part of the strategy so that we don't feel maybe like at the mercy of this weird unknown future is I try to like reorient back into like, what are like the things throughout human history that humans have done to like stay rooted and grounded and joyful and to kind of like lean in to some ancient practices that have just been like time tested um, and to create, uh, intentionally create like a balanced rhythm for yourself, regardless of what happens with your job or your um, uh, economic future, like all of these huge unknown things, I feel like if we can create even a, a mini um, set of rituals or rhythms for ourselves that keeps us connected to our bodies, connected to our minds in healthy ways, connected to our emotions, connected to our physical environment and to each other. Um, that's one way that we can ensure we're not just going to be like completely tossed about by what's going on. And I think it's um, a very under underused muscle group uh, that most of us have to develop practices around being alone and doing that well without having it like tip into massive anxiety or uh, all kinds of fear or, um, you know, crippling loneliness. But I think building some, some space to say, no, it, it can actually be extremely healthy to be alone 
and to use that well. Um, so I feel like we kind of need a, a strategy for ourselves uh, mm-hmm. that's keeping us grounded um, apart from like whatever other people are doing with Zooming and otherwise. Yeah, I would love to ask, um, can you share any advice you have for people who are looking to create a work culture where people click and how can people can begin to do that work, whether, you know, now we're in a post-COVID world. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I would would say like the number one thing is to make sure that you're starting where you actually are from within yourself and in the space that you're already in with the people you're already around, as opposed to saying what kind of systems or programs or events can we create to facilitate this, I think starting one-on-one is the number one thing. By embodying the kinds of dynamics we hope will permeate a culture, it's like deciding to show up as you are and create a space between you and another person that invites them to show up in their full humanity um, and have like a genuine three-minute interaction. I love that. So get, get real and get tiny is the yeah. principle there. I love it. So looking ahead, what's the big vision for you? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Hold on to your seats. <laughs> World domination. Yeah. No. Um, always says. <laughs> really? <laughs> I mean, why, why aim low? Go for the big bucks, you know? Yeah. Because I want to, because like we were saying, I want to attack and dominate this I know, issue. that's the thing. That's exactly right. I'm like, oh, you crush it. Um, no, I mean, gosh, like I really, I really try to proceed with, you know, who is actually on my horizon that I am responsible to serve and care for. And I kind of never know. I mean, like if you asked me 10 years ago, like I would have been able to be like, you know, I'd like to be the director of belonging. I mean, I just can't ever predict my life. Um, but what I will say is that I have become increasingly convinced that like who I am, I think I can be of the most service and help by moving more into um, media spaces. I am trying desperately to finish a book proposal this month. Um, I'm starting a podcast and I hope to have a TV show. And that is not because I'm interested at all in being on camera or having this be about me. Like I actually hate all of that. I mean, your hair is going to appreciate it. <laughs> That's like going to be the one, the one thing um, that seals the deal maybe. But, and, and it's because I think what is missing uh, that could be so enormously helpful is saying this is an ongoing conversation that everyone has a right to participate in, that we need all voices at the table. Everyone has wisdom and solutions for their own life within them. And we need to create a conversation space that refuses to stop talking until every voice is heard. Mm. And so I feel like we, we don't have a sustained conversation that has normalized this as a normal human need and that is actually incentivized participating in this kind of conversation as mm. like whoa you're taking care of yourself and those around you mm. rather than stigmatizing it so mm. i want to create like a joyful fun um 
experiential space uh, for anyone to enter into without having to be part of a certain organization or sign up for a certain class or that sort of thing. So that's what I'm looking that. to move into. Kat, you're speaking our language. We're going to do some stuff together. Love um, it. Yeah, I would love that. And, um, can, and can my hair come? Oh, I would be upset if it didn't. You have two imitations, one for you and one for your hair. Yes. <laughs> your hair will be your plus one. Um, it's hilarious. And then our final question, which we love to ask all of our guests, what are you currently geeking out about that has nothing to do with your job, your work? Oh my gosh, you guys, where do I begin? Other than Twizzlers. <laughs> Other, you guys, there is a candy problem happening in this house, and it's not my son's. It's my problem. Um, I mean, I'm fairly obsessed with tiny houses. Um, I desperately want a cabin in the woods, tiny house, and all the fixings, right? Like all of the forest creatures that go along with a tiny house. <laughs> the lumberjack husband that goes, but who's like emotionally with it. And... Um, you know, uh, all the poetry that goes with it. I'm, I'm pretty obsessed with Mary Oliver. I don't know if you know her Ooh, poetry. No. She's amazing. She just passed not that long ago. Mm. Um, and drawing. I draw a lot of, a lot of strange cartoons. Is this like pencil drawing? Pen and ink. Pen and ink. Mm. Mm. So. Right, we'll talk about that as well. Those, so. are my, those are my geeky things. I love that. Oh my gosh, Kat. You're incredible. Oh, you guys, I'm so grateful to get to know you and talk about these things with you and discover the work you're doing. So Same. let's just help, help the humans. I love it. I love that. What a great note to end on too. Thank yes. you. Thank you so much. Thanks to all our listeners for spending some time geeking out with us. If you enjoyed listening, please rate and review us on iTunes. Every review helps. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next interview. And tell all your friends. New episodes drop every Tuesday. <laughs> Check us out at She Geeks Out on all the things. And in case you're wondering what those things are, they are Twitter, Insta, FB, otherwise known as Facebook, LinkedIn, and our website, of course. Bye, Rachel. Bye, Felicia. Bye, Felicia.